Hello, this is Andrew Mayeski, Umrich from the forums and the Liquid Planet in Eons. And I never listen to the Order 66 podcast, because I hear my brother, Darth GM Phil, does a segment for that show. And I heard a rumor he even co-hosted a recent show. I've been listening to him for 33 years and feel sorry for anyone who, who listens to him. Uh, 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 hey, bro. How's it going? Oh, boy. Hey, this is Henraldo. I've been missing for a little over a year from you guys, and I've missed you horribly for my Star Wars Day gift. I got the Edge of the Empire beginner box set, and I am loving this system. I can't wait to actually play it. And so, after reading the entire book, I'm like, I'm going to listen to Order 66 again. And it's like I never left. I'm so glad you guys are still there. I'm sorry I was a bad, bad person and and ran away and forgot about you for a little bit. But I'm back. And I'm here to show you I can really shake them down. The BBC would like to announce that the next scene is not considered suitable for family viewing. Broadcast live on D20 Radio's Justin TV channel. You're listening to the Order 66 podcast. Brought to you by Gamer Nation Studios, D20 Radio, and MapsOfMastery.com. Welcome back, Gamma Nation, to the Order 66 podcast. This is episode number 11, which means we're rolling doubles on your obligation checks. Watch out. Ooh, smooth. Yup. It is uh, June the 13th, 2013, and we are back for the GM Holocron yet again, Edge Style. I'm GM Dave, one of your hosts, that voice you just heard, GM Chris. What is up, Gamma Nation? For those of you who may be tuning in for the very first time, this is the Order 66 podcast, the original podcast entirely devoted to Star Wars role-playing. And uh, uh, currently, the rather pimptastic uh, uh, Edge of the Empire system from Fantasy Flight Games. Yeah, that. Yes, yes. If the, dude, it was great to get some bumpers. Uh, haven't gotten. Haven't, it's been a couple weeks since we've gotten any bumpers uh, off the top of the show. That was really great. Thank you guys for sending those in. And, Her- and Raldo. I freaking missed you, dude, and I'm glad you're back. And Just saying that. Special thing to note is that both of those liners came in via the D20 radio line. Whoa. Yes, indeed. 262 D20 radio. Oh, 262 D20 radio. Ah, you heard it here first, my man. You heard it here first. Bad, bad, nice. Guys, we have a very lengthy and awesome show for you tonight that Dave already teased. We have an awful lot to talk about. Dave, you want to hit the ground running? Let's go! And now, Stormtrooper Poetry. The Wampa likes to stomp and howl out in the ice of Hoth, he'll prowl. 
He wasn't home inside his cave, so I went in feeling brave. Then he came home and I crapped all over myself really badly. Stormtrooper Poetry And now, Stormtrooper Haiku. Haiku. <laughs> An oldie and classy from Fiddleback and a new and improved Stormtrooper High crew from the inestimable Darth Pseudonym. Thank you, gentlemen. The Darth Pseudonym, that, that made me just uh, roll out of my chair laughing. It was, it was pretty good. Yeah, it was. Pretty good, pretty good. Hello there. What have we here? Good news. Ah, yes. Time for the news and our featured podcast this week. A lot of you longtime listeners of D20 Radio and the Order 66 podcast, of course, are familiar with fine voices such as Fiddleback, Cat, Will, GM Brev, Chris West, Cyril, Kalilia, could I go on? Blade Psyker? All as hosts, guests, contributors, whatever you'd like. So, if you want to hear these voices and others, would you like to hear them more? Yeah. How about how about if you'd like to hear them playing RP, various role playing games and recording their sessions while they do it? Yeah. Would you like to hear them doing live play of Edge of the Empire? Oh hell yeah! Of course you would. So would we. And the Real Gamers podcast recently took a break from all their campaigns and decided to do a one-shot of Edge of the Empire, helmed by our illustrious mapmaker, Chris West. It's a special episode called The Real Edge, posted last week, and you guys all need to give it a listen. I'm about halfway through it, and it's hilarious. <laughs> N- uh, don't listen to it just for the gameplay, but of course there's humor, vulgarity, all-around debauchery, and uh, you know these dear friends of ours uh, have just gifted all this onto the world, so... Seriously, it's a fun episode. Go listen to it right now, and then you find this and a whole slew of other awesome podcasts at www.d20radio.com. Ooh. Juicy bits of web goodness. Um, okay, so from this keyboard of Sterling Hershey, hot off the keyboard um, of, of one of my own Star Wars paragons, Mr. Hershey, uh, he, he tempts us with some treats of the Star Wars variety. Star Wars news on his weekly Star Wars Wednesdays blog. So two weeks ago, uh, or two updates ago, uh, Sterling relates this awesome celebrity reminiscence video of Return of the Jedi that was produced uh, in light of, you know, the recent, you know, the the 30-year anniversary, right? Yep. Um, And uh, great video, has a whole bunch of awesome celebrities talking about Return of the Jedi and their love for it and their experiences with it. And it does include your good friend and mine, Sam Witwer. Um, About 10 minutes long, absolutely hilarious. Check it out. But this week, Sterling, as is appropriate, shares with us the official FFG announcement of the first full-length, three-act Edge of the Empire adventure, Beyond the Rim, authored by Mr. Hershey himself. How fitting. It might have even been authorized by him, too. Authorized? Yeah, mostly, you know, I'm willing to bet it was authorized by Lucas. (laughs) Right. Uh, due for release in quarter three of this year, uh, the 96-page adventure 
um, takes players from the wheel space station all the way to the edge of wild space. Um, sounds like a blast. Sterling gives us a, a full link uh, to the FFG article with tons of pics and greater adventure details, and it, it just looks great. You guys can read all about it and so much more at www.sterlinghershey.com. Dot com. And, you know, I'm just... Uh... I'm just thinking that maybe we should have Sterling on the show. Yeah, probably when the adventure comes out. Yeah, it's probably going to be a good idea. Yeah, we we might even. I don't know. You know, next week, can I tease this? Our guest next time? Oh, hang on to it. Hang on to it till the appropriate announcement. Oh. Because we got one coming up. Just to oh, check, I didn't even look, see it. Look at your show notes, buddy. Come I, on, I read through them. I just didn't know what was going on. All right, so anyway. All right, next. <laughs> Speaking of Fantasy Flight, by the way. Uh, big, giant, huge. Props to Mr. J. Little and the rest of the FFG crew because Edge of the Empire and X-Wings Miniatures won Best RPG and Best Miniatures Game, respectively, at the UK Games Expo. Ooh! Yes! How about that? How about that? Big grats, guys. Yup. Um, and also, not to stop there, uh, we related the fact that, uh, well, I... I kind of did i guess i was kind of well, present. okay we know we talked about this last episode yeah i mean i was kind of present even though i was out of the country so yeah you yes. know we, we we did uh a, a new printed adventure which is going to be available to all of you for free is called shadows of the black sun and uh it's being released for free rpg day which is this saturday june 15th mm-hmm. and your participating flgs will have it and if they don't the pdf will be available shortly thereafter on ffg's website yes and also available right now are six downloadable pregen characters designed for use in that module. And the character art, I'm going to put this out because uh, uh, our our wonderful D20 Radio Zone Zoe um, is actually in the chat room right now. Oh, Zoe Robinson. Hello, Zoe. Um, sweetie, the art on those sheets, pimp. Just going to say it. Y'all ain't scamping. Oh. Okay, now's the time to make your appropriate announcement, Dave. Oh, yes. Edge of the Empire lead developer himself and guest of order 66 sam stewart treated us to an article about how the force works in edge of the empire hokey religions and ancient uh, ancient weapons by the way delves into dice mechanics and development choices of, of force use and how the gms and players can bring the force into the game and that but that's not the big announcement no uh find dave, all that stuff by the way on fantasy Flight what games. is up dave what you like i set you up and you just totally missed it well, yeah, but you know, I was going to the, I was going to your next bullet point, so <laughs> I didn't. I thought you'd put it in there. I did. Like I said, I didn't really read the bullet points all that well. Besides, so that, you're you know. saying I make the show notes and you don't read them? Well, That's I do. I just, I just, you know, bullet point, and then I just kind of, you know, just kind of elaborate from the bullet point. I didn't realize that the bullet point you lied. I didn't realize you were going to lie to me on the air. I, you know, that's half my life, man. Is lying to people on the air. <sighs> I guess. Uh, you know th- that that's that's kind of cool. I and. All right, so I want to. Okay, so so anyway, hit it, hit us up. Go to Fantasy Flight Games and download all that stuff. But next week, uh, well, in like ten days, we're going to have. I hope I don't get her name wrong. If like I pronounce her last name wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. Katrina Ostrander, who's I'm, like I'm, uh, going for Ostrander, maybe I don't know. See, Os or Os, I don't know. Anyway, she's FFG, and uh, I'm going to call her like the uh, production uh, vice president. 
That's probably not her title. No. She's like, the, like a freelancer. But she's like a project manager. Okay. For the book that um, is available coming soon, that 96-page thing that we teased earlier. Yeah. Plus, she uh, was over the project of uh, that uh, Shadows of a Black Sun. And she will be on the show. And that show, to fit into her schedule, is going to be next Monday. That's going to be a Monday night show. Monday night. Monday, and that's uh, June 24th, I believe. June 24th. So we're very excited to have Katrina on the show. Um, really looking forward to that. And I want to go back to the announcement that you... Producer. You, because, because apparently I lied to you. I lied to you on the air. Producer. Um, and you were like flying through that last announcement. Hokey Religions and Ancient Weapons. Yes. Awesome article. Sam Stewart, all about the Force in Edge of the Empire. Go check that out. There's a uh, small... Uh, there's an a, an example in there of the sense tree, dude. Yeah, you can see what the trees are like. I love how they restructured the design of the 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 force uh, power trees. It's like they're so much more readable, and the costs are understandable. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I was yep. like, oh, that's just simplistically beautiful. Yep. Oh, and by the way, I'm just going to go ahead and say the show after Katrina, we're going to have Senior Vice President Steve Horbath on the show. That is the current plan. Yep. Ah. So fantasy flight guests abound here on the Order 66 podcast. Abound. Abound. Yes. Yes. So <clears throat> there's all this fantasy flight stuff going on. All right. They got all these great articles. They got these free and PCs you can download. Where, where, where can people go to get all this cool news and, and see the thoughts of these crazy people and, and get all this free swag? FantasyFlightGames.com. Oh, so I'm um, sorry. What was that again? FantasyFlightGames.com. FantasyFlightGames.com. Hmm. Yeah. I can remember this. This is an easy yep. web address. I like it. Yep. I like it. Yep. Don't go to FFG.com because that's porn. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right, dude. Talk to me about the GSA. Ah, yes, of course, you know the GSA. This is our um, our arm of gaming espionage, and it is a very, very handy place to go whenever you need any kind of uh, RPG-related article or NPC, fan-generated content. I think they just put some Dresden file stuff up there, which is cool. They did. They did. They cover everything, but... Edge of the Empire seems to be a highlight. Dude, that, that is all my web foo. Our, our sister blog, the GSA, is hands down... The most, the most prolific place to get fan-generated content for Edge. That's right. If they don't get nominated for an any, I'm going to burn a hobo. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Any recent highlights from the GSA? This oh, past? hey, you know what? Wayne Basta showed up. He uh, goes by the pen name Agent 47 and gives us two additions to his Edge of the Empire Obligometer series. We Love penned, that series. We penned that name, by the way. I just yes, want to tell you did. that. Uh, detailing the ins and outs of obligation, of course. This time he goes over oath and favor. Good articles. And then Donovan Morningfire, a.k.a. Agent 94, contri- continues his threat assessment series, the Dark Trooper Project, by giving us all the stats for a nemesis threat, the Phase 3 Dark Trooper, a dangerous and well-armed behemoth that will put the fear into the empire of the Empire into your players. And it's ready for your session right now. So check it out. And so much more at gsa.thegamernation.org. Whoa. Okay, <clears throat> two other shout-outs I've got to plug. Um, slide audible here. Uh, 
speaking of Wayne Basta, Dave. Yep. Um, you know, friend of the show, noted author. We've had him on before. Yes, D20 Radio's own Wayne Basta. If you guys um, have not read his epic space opera novel series, um, Aristea, you are doing yourselves a disservice. Uh, fantastic series. Um, the first two books are Aristea, a Revolutionary Right, and the second one, A Little Rebellion, uh, he published in the last couple of years, and they rocked. Uh, but Wayne has just released the final book in the Aristea trilogy, Tree of Liberty, uh, which hits the interwebs in ebook format this Saturday, June 15th, um, with the Dead Tree version available on July 1st. <laughs> um, you guys can pre order either version now, ebook too, if you're catching this podcast early enough, and actually save 10%. What is more? Wayne is actually having a contest and a giveaway the entire month of June. Um, what's remaining of it? The rest of the rest of this half of the month. I want to share that with you. Uh, he's got all kinds of cool prizes: uh, soft and hard copies of the books, T-shirts, patches, other cool swag. There's no reason not to follow Wayne, enter the contest, and win yourself some swag. So head over to WayneBasta.com. That's W-A-Y-N-E-B-A-S-T-A.com, and find out the details and check out the glory of this Aristea. And if you haven't read it, it's awesome. Yes. <sighs> Lastly, um, I w- wanted to take a moment to direct you all to a little project that was actually spotlighted for us by our very own documentary girl, Stephanie Hover. Um, is possibly the coolest Kickstarter I've ever seen. And I don't typically like to pimp out random Kickstarters on Order 66. I don't think we ever have. Um, but considering our own proclivities, Dave, I kind of had to pimp this, and it kind of goes along with the whole Eons theme. Yeah, and that's that's kind of I'm really I'm, I just but even if we never produced Eons, like I'm so in love with this concept and I think it's brilliant. So with the end of the space shuttle program, like exploring our galaxy far, far away has, has become a rather slim hope for humanity. It seems um, space exploration is kind of falling by the wayside. Maybe not. So several private companies in the past couple decades have gotten into the space exploration gig, and the Museum of Flight and this company called Planetary Resources that actually started to do like exoplanet mining, like asteroid mining operations, they've recently joined forces to launch a publicly available and crowd-controlled massive orbital telescope designed to give average people, students, and educational institutions the capability of honest-to-good space exploration on the caliber of the Hubble telescope. Um, It is a $1 million Kickstarter, boys and girls. With 17 days left to go as of of the time of this broadcast, nearly 10,000 people have already pledged over $890,000 to make this happen. Um, Pledge levels get you brief control of the freaking telescope with a $25 pledge they will take a selfie of you from outer space from space <laughs> wait from space thank you from space no problem see oh. that's just copycat yeah well, yeah I, I, well, that's how i roll i always copy you so. <laughs> Look, as this is an ambitious and a wonderfully noble project, I had to share it with you guys. I, I encourage you to support it if it intrigues you. Head to Kickstarter right now and do a keyword search for ARKYD. That's A-R-K-Y-D. That's the name of the telescope. Hey, uh, R2D Toots just put it in the chat. Hello, Echo Base. She did. She did. Several dozen people watching us live in Echo Base right now. Um, so, yeah, guys, check it out. Pledge, and let's, go all, go, let's, let's all just go explore. I think this is a phenomenal project and thought you guys should know about it. So yes, that. that, that, that right there. 
What about social what, media? What, what about this? Yeah, what about yeah, social media? I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it. So you guys should follow us, D20 Radio, on the Facebooks, of course, for news on the podcast and other stuff as well because lots of people post in there. They're up to over like 350 members in that uh, group now. You can follow us on the Twitters. Uh, I will be tweeting from GM Dave, and he will be twittering from GM Chris. Mm-hmm. We post and tweet show announcements and other stuff regularly. Oh, yes. Of course, you can also follow D20 Radio on Twitter. And we just revamped the Twitter feed for D20 Radio, which is at D20 Radio. And it's no longer just a sounding board for podcasts when podcasts go up. It now has some rather you know, control over it. So it's tweeting out little news and bits and whatever about either D20 Radio or Gamer Nation Studios or the GSA or whatnot. So what you say? A little bit more. Do you mean that gamers can just follow D20 Radio and get all kinds of great gaming news? Yes. Oh, this cannot be what you say. Oh, yes. Yes, it can. So, yes, indeed. And with that, we shall dive into the world of... Skill Monkey. Skill Monkey. Skill checks are one of the most narratively creative elements in FFG's Star Wars system. They represent opportunities for players and GMs to work together to create the kind of stories and adventures that become epic and cinematic. At least, they can be epic and cinematic if you think creatively about the dice results. Let me show you what I mean. Now normally, here at Skill Monkey Towers, I'd be setting up some sort of situation that I and my crew had to go through, and how a particular skill was relied upon to make that happen. Thrilling tales of adventure would be placed before you for your amusement and edification, and you would be admonished to try to tell the best story you could within that scene and with those dice results that may or may not come up. Much laughter would ensue, and we'd all learn a lesson about how to tell an exciting and entertaining story. So far, so good. But, and you knew there was a but headed this direction, didn't you? There is one very important thing you have to learn in order to tell the kinds of stories that keep players interested and coming back to your table for more. That thing is, when not to roll the dice. I've seen it many times on many forums discussing the game. Someone is concerned that they don't know how to narrate the results of a die roll in a particular situation. They get confused about how the die results might apply in, say, a social encounter. What does advantage and threat mean when a player is trying to convince an NPC to take a particular course of action? Or sometimes you'll see someone asking about how to apply multiple successes to a search, and what that means in terms of what they can find. Other times you'll see a question about applying a skill in a non-standard way, and how the results generated are supposed to work. What do you do? Well, let me suggest a radical piece of advice. Not every situation needs to have dice rolled to determine the outcome. Sometimes it is enough to hand wave the results and move on. You should ask yourself a couple of questions before you go with this option, though. The first question, is there a good reason for this check to be opposed? 
If there isn't some force or individual working against the PCs to prevent them from succeeding at whatever check they are about to take, they probably don't need to be rolling dice. For instance, if the PCs are swimming across a pool of calm water and there isn't anyone taking pot shots at them or dangerous creatures about to swim up and attack them, don't start throwing athletics checks at them to see how far or how well they swim. Just narrate them across the water and get on with the real story. Being encumbered during the swim isn't a good enough reason to have them roll dice either. Just figure that they go a little slower or take the time to adjust their carry weights before setting out. Try not to bog your PCs down with unnecessary rolling and meaningless delays. Something like, the swim is long and the going is a little rough, but you manage to make it to the other side. You've incurred some strain due to the difficulty of the swim, but are otherwise fine when you make the opposite shore. Should be more than enough to satisfy the needs of the story in such circumstances. If you keep in mind the movies we are all playing around in, you don't often see characters doing mundane things unless by doing them we learn something that either advances the plot, reveals details of the character, or provides us with information. Any scene you as a GM create should do at least one, if not two, of these things. Which brings me to my next question. If you, as the GM, didn't plan this scene, and therefore don't have a sense of what negative or positive results on the dice could mean, is this scene important enough to have dice rolled? Not that unplanned scenes are pointless, far from it. Rather, the suggestion is that if they aren't crucial to the plot, they may not be developed enough to warrant dice rolls. Talk to your players about the scene and the checks involved. Get a sense of what they want out of it, and, if you can do so, simply allow things to go in the player's favor if it seems reasonable. If there is some question about whether what they want is reasonable or not, take a look at how many dice the PCs involved have in relevant skills. Compare them to whatever the difficulty might be, and, if things seem generally in the PC's favor, narrate your way through it. A PC with three proficiency dice and a further two ability dice is likely to overcome anything up to a hard difficulty in most cases, and in a scene or check not directly related to the plot, it just slows things down and introduces unnecessary complications to have them rolling dice in generally trivial matters. Sure, it is possible the PCs may, for instance, search a body or room that has a plot-critical device hidden in it. It may even be that that MacGuffin has deliberately been hidden from them and therefore seems like it should require an opposed check of some sort. The problem is, though, suppose the PC doesn't roll enough successes to find the item. Hopefully you've been clever enough to set up alternate methods for them to find the MacGuffin, but if you haven't, you are in a pickle. Are you going to let your entire plot grind to a halt because no one found the thing they were supposed to find and now the ring can't go to the mountain because no one knows where it is? Probably not. Are you going to, instead, allow the PCs multiple rolls to find the item so they can continue on? You could, but if you're going to do that anyway, why have them roll it all to find it? Why not just create a suitably clever and realistic story of their discovery of Mrs. MacGuffin's package and get on with things? Yes, it can be dramatically appealing to have them roll and search and roll and search to reflect the difficulty of the search. But you can narrate that same difficulty without having the game bogged down by repeated die rolls and players frustrated by repeated failures. They are much less likely to simply walk out of the room and never find your plot point if you narrate things than they are if you leave them stuck rolling. 
Essentially, what this boils down to is as follows. PCs should only roll dice when it enhances the drama of the narrative to have them do so, and when it is significant to the plot. Otherwise, it is completely acceptable to narrate your way through the more mundane elements of the story in pursuit of the larger goal, making stories epic and memorable for all concerned. After all, how many good scenes in the movies involved someone sitting down to a meal or excusing themselves to the bathroom? See you next time. I don't know. Dumb and Dumber had a pretty good bathroom scene. So I listened to that and I was like, bold choice, Fiddy. Very bold choice. You know, we get such words of wisdom from Fiddleback about how to uh, adjudicate die rolls and, and how to do that. But, um, you know, yeah. he's been getting a lot of questions and stuff and, and it, it's come up. You know, it, it's something to talk about. People need to think about when they need to make rolls. And I've been playing in some games actually just recently where I've actually said to myself, why are you, I mean, I'm not going to call it the GM, but it's like, why are you making me roll for this? Um, no, yeah. it's good thought, man. Good segment, Fitting. Good segment. Yes. Mm-hmm. Delicious. And we follow that up with uh, this. He doesn't seem to take a hint, this guy. I was beginning to wonder if you'd got my message. Messages from the Edge. Boy, am I glad to hear your voice. I think it would be wise if you took advantage of my knowledge in this instance. Indeed. Welcome to Messages from the Edge, our regular segment where we take time to answer your game and rules questions about the system. How can you get us these questions, might you ask? Well, yes. Mr. Cotter, Mr. Cotter, Horshack in the back, yes. Uh, they can go to the forums and post it up at www.d20radio.com slash forums. Oh, that's the easiest way. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Register and make your voice heard. Oh, of course, wow. you can always email us, gmchris at d20radio.com, gmdave at d20radio.com. And if you're brave enough, like those two souls off the top of the show, you can leave your question on voicemail at 262-d20radio. 262-320-7234. Huzzah. And yeah, like leave us a question or do what they did. Leave us a liner. Tell us why you never listened to the Order 66 podcast. Yes. Our first question tonight comes from a new forum poster, Astic. Astic. I, don't know it, I don't know. I hope I'm, I know I'm probably butchering that, but I was like, is it Astic, Estic, Istic, A-E-S-T-I-C? I don't know. I'm going to go with Astic because everything Norwegian that's A-E has a long A sound, and I'm A-stick. guessing that's where he's from. But maybe, he's Can- maybe he's Canadian and it's A-stick, A-stick. 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 You bounced in the goal. Very good time for the Chicago Blackhawks last night, yeah? Oh, yeah. That's what it's about. Yeah. Okay. First question. Here it comes. Damage and minions. Slammer. By the way, those of you not in the print industry, slammer is an exclamation point. I say that a lot. Let's say there is a group of three minions working together each one with a six-wound threshold, which totals into 18-wound threshold for the entire group. A PC fires a blaster carbine at the group and nets three successes. This means he's dealing 12 damage to the minion group. Mm. Does this attack drop two of the minions, or does the first minion take all 12, leaving the remaining two alive with a group of 12 wound points? I've been playing the latter 
in order to make minions last a little longer, but I'm not sure what the actual rules would be. Any idea on this one? Well, if you're looking for the pure rules, uh, A-Stick, um, it's actually the first scenario, not the one you've been playing. I'm sorry. Um, in your example, 12 damage would actually drop two of the minions out of the group. Uh, this is clarified in the rules, um, page 196 of the beta book, to be precise, uh, in the minions can fight as a group section, uh, where it is noted that when a minion group is attacked, the group as a whole is attacked, and any damage inflicted results in individual minions being eliminated as their share of the wound total is exhausted. That's how it's designed to work. Um, and it goes a long way towards making minions dangerous, but still minions. <laughs> so a good hit could actually take the group out because they're, they're minions. Um, you know, doing it where like, you know, at most you can like, in, like in his scenario, at most you could only ever do six damage to a minion group, no matter what you're shooting or throwing at them. Or, you know, if a thermal detonator blows up, it's, you know, or well, assuming that it's blast right. ball isn't activated. I mean, yeah, it's just, you know, right. Yeah. It's only, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, yeah, it, it's option one, sir. Option one. What about minions with soak? Um, well, um, yeah, I mean, it, that's the thing. Soak still, it, it doesn't apply to each minion. It applies to the group. So if, if I mean, min- minions are an entity. So if, if, the, if the minion group has a soak of two or three and you do 12 points of damage, you're going to be, you know, dealing, you know, nine or ten to the group. And that can, you know, in, in his example where they have six wound points each, that's actually only going to drop one and then just do another yeah. uh, you know, three to four damage to the group. And when you do another two points, another one will drop, you know, regardless of when that happens. Yay. Yep. All right. Next one comes from Vlade Psyker. Oh, yes. Who was inspired after listening to episode number 10 and our discussion of synth skin. <laughs> yes, indeed. Make a pocket of synth skin. His question is, how would you treat this? Say you've got a droid in the party, and for whatever reason, that's going to cause a problem for the next part of the adventure. Okay. What if you buy a bunch of synth skin and get the droid to <laughs> extrude every appendage she has, then <laughs> spray the whole droid with copious amounts of synth skin to make it look like some weird freak alien? Add some body paint, some clothes, seriously mess with its audio components. This is skullduggery. <clears throat> And uh, some weird muffled, I don't know, and pass off the droid as some kind of, uh, you know, outer rim life form. We do have uh, every NPC that encounters the group roll a check to see if they recognize the droid for what it is, or only if direct if they directly interact with the droid. Or does it just make sense, you know, when does it, you know, I don't know, as a GM, when does it make sense? On a side note, I think I might enjoy playing a droid who spends every spare moment spraying on more synth skin to get the appearance just right and pass itself off as a living creature. (laughs) 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 This is funny. Wow. Just wow. Um, I'm not even going to comment on the wisdom of this plan or or whether synth skin would even stick to metal. Um, Who knows? Uh, Frankly, it's hilarious. I'd probably go with it. Uh, but the, the heart of your question, Vlade, uh, and the reason I really wanted to talk about it is it, it's a good one uh, that deals with opposed checks and session dynamics when you get down to it. With your interesting example aside, <laughs> what, what you got here is a simple situation. You got a PC who is attempting to create a deceptive appearance. That's what's happening. Um, 
you know, synth skin cover droid or no. That's what's happening. Um, now, that is, as you point out, Dave, typically a skullduggery check. Though a lenient GM might allow for deceit. One of my players could probably make that argument to me, and I might accept it. Um, here's a question. When a deceptive appearance is plastered on, who rolls to notice it? And when? Is it one NPC? Is it all the NPCs? All the ones that touch him? All the ones that see him? The recommended answer here, Vlade, is that no NPCs are going to make any rolls. Pause. Let that sink in. (laughs) (laughs) This is a classic opposed check, and we've talked about this before. You want your players to be making the checks whenever possible. So the droid, or the person slapping synth skin on him, to carry forward your example, would need to make their skullduggery check with a difficulty that equates to the perception of the person they're trying to fool. So if the NPC interacting or spotting our droid outer rim synth skin alien uh, has a perception of two greens and a yellow, the skullduggery difficulty is going to be two purple and a red, the polar opposite. Um, you don't, you don't have to do it this way. Um, you can easily have the NPC make a perception check opposed by the PC's skullduggery. In other words, that the PC's skullduggery becomes the difficulty. But the dice are slightly, minutely skewed towards the positive. And honestly, you want to put your players center stage. So let them make the check. And you really only ever want one check, Vlade, to also continue with your question. Um, the rules are populated with numerous similar scenarios, and they always come back to saying that the best check among the assembled NPCs should be used, and that's what you should do here. One check, or preferably one difficulty <laughs> on a PC check. Yep. Make sense? And then go back to listen to that, um, was it last week? I don't remember. When... when the skill monkey was about getting into Super Megacon because their GM, Yenin, got them all banned. That was last week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great skill monkey segment. Great skill monkey. Yeah. Yep. Good questions, guys. Thank you very much, and please send them in again. Uh, we we want to answer the questions that you have. Indeed we do. And, not to be outdone, yet again, we have another segment. I'm gonna pop some tags, only got twenty dollars in my pocket. I'm looking for a comma. This is a black market. <laughs> what do you know? Welcome to Watto's Black Market, where the skeezy scoundrels of the Outer Rim can procure the weapons and gear to make living on the edge of the Empire a little more tolerable. Step right up, step right up. Yeah, only a dime. Get in here and see the greatest show on Earth. <laughs> All right, tonight's visit to Watto is brought to us by Angelic Doctor. Love that guy. Who asked a Watto... Uh, to trade in a highly illegal and dangerous weapon? The Disruptor Pistol. Oh, boy. Yes. Dude, what can we say about the Disruptor Pistol? What? This is far and away the most dangerous and powerful range light weapon in the game currently. Yes, but it does have a couple limitations. Yeah, a couple, but I mean... Okay, so the first one of those is its cost. Yep. 
I mean, I mean, what this this thing ain't cheap. What are we looking at for this? For, Three thousand credits for you to be able to walk around with one of these things. Uh, but you get what you pay for, right? Yes. Um. Now, so there is the cost issue. Um. Another drawback is the fact that virtually all systems have outlaw disruptor weapons with some of the harshest penalties humanly available. Um, <laughs> that kind of illegal status means that no self-respecting black marketer is going to settle for charging you a measly 3,000 credits, most likely, if you can even locate one of these things to begin with. Um, so why, why is this thing so deadly, man? Well, I don't know. Why is it so deadly? Well, like it's, got a base da- it's got a base damage that's insane for a ranged light weapon. Well, yeah, kind of. I mean, 10. My, my God. I, it's disgusting. Dude, it's, it's absolutely disgusting. It crits with only two advantage. Oh. You know. And? Oh, yeah, there's a vicious thing, too, by the way. What is it, vicious four? Yeah. Okay, so... so it, <laughs> Wait, remind me, Vicious 4 means you add plus... 40! 40. To your critical injury roll that you make. Oh, God. Yeah. So it, not, only, not only can this thing crit, like, easier... Like, like, that's the easiest crit possible at 2 advantage, but you get to add plus 40 to it, to the roll, when you do. Because that's, it's vicious! That's, that's disgusting. But I don't think that's all. Um, no. If I recall correctly no. from my, uh, my, my dossier that Watto's provided, mm. yeah. any critical hit automatically results in a crippled effect on the critical oh. injury table. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're following along, uh, boys and girls, on the table, that is a roll of 96 to 100%. Crippled? Uh, yeah, it, it automatically results in a crippled effect. Unless, of course, you happen to roll higher than that, oh, then that worst yeah. thing happens. Things yeah. like maim. That maiming, yep. Yeah, which you know is instant and, and few, full loss of the limb compared to crippled, which is just like a crippled limb that can potentially be healed and and you know you get you know increased difficulties to use it and crap like that. Uh, you know, maimed, horrific injury, gruesome injury, which temporarily or permanently reduces characteristics, and of course, yeah, death. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, I, I just, I get the, <laughs> no matter what, if you hit, and, and the damage doesn't kill him outright, which at a base 10 with some successes it could easily, um, for only two advantage or a triumph, you can cripple your target. Um, yeah. You can see why these things are outlawed, right? Like, like everywhere. Yeah. I mean, even the huts don't cater to these things. Nope. <sighs> any, mm. any other, I mean... Mm. What what kind of I mean? Any other has, what what else? Any other pros and cons? Well, uh, it only has a short range. Gosh darn! Oh yeah 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 that's true and you know but what you know it has a big brother. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there is the disruptor rifle, um, which which mitigates that short range uh, with uh, a long range of its own. Oh, and it's vicious five by oh, the way. Yeah, nice, awesome. Um, yeah, but oh, but it's cumbersome too. Oh yeah, it's 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 yeah. heavier and it's got a cumbersome two rating. And it's a little more expensive too. Yeah, um, takes a manly man and five thousand credits to get it. <laughs> God. Okay, so what's the bottom line here? Uh, let's see. Mm, uh, deadly, immoral, illegal. 
easily concealed. <laughs> hook for lots of obligation. <laughs> and it can drastically alter your campaign. <laughs> so if your GM lets you get your hand on one of those things, use it very wisely and expect to be the target of many, many foes. <laughs> don't tell anyone you have it. Yes, don't, please. Yeah, yeah. Disruptor weaponry, nasty, horrible, awful. Um, and a lot of fun, hey! Good suggestion, Angelic Doctor. Thank you. Um, if you guys have any other things you'd like talked about, uh, pieces of gear or equipment uh, from the books, um, you can, of course, head to the boards at d20radio.com slash forums. Head to the Order 66 podcast board where you will find a dedicated thread specifically devoted to Wado's Black Market. And we'll cover it. We will. That's what we do. That's what we do. It's a thing. Here on the Order 66 podcast. And the other things that we do is play listener bits. And we have... Uh, <laughs> Dr. Majewski coming up right here with another episode of Fragments from the Rim. The farther you get from the core worlds, the more mysteries there are in the galaxy. Secrets that can mean the difference between success or failure, triumph or despair, life or death. Take a seat. My friend here will reveal one of these secrets. One of these... All right. I have to stop it for a second. Does it bug you that that sounds kind of like Princess Leia? I think it's pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, no, I know. I, it just distracts me every single time. Okay, good job, Phil. Fragments from the rim. I was in here the other day, and a couple of boisterous patrons were arguing about hyperspace. They were bickering with each other about the most difficult paths, the safe routes, and the worst tragedies of hyperspace. One of them even felt that the galaxy might have been a better place if no one ever discovered an ability to travel faster than light, and all our various races and civilizations stayed confined to our home systems. Maybe you don't know too much about hyperspace other than the basic rudimentary requirements for traveling through it. To summarize, hyperdrives move a ship from one side of the baryonic, tachyonic matter threshold to the other. On this side, we have the principles of relativity that cause matter to increase its mass as it reaches the speed of light, thus requiring more energy to get closer and closer to that threshold. On the other side is tachyonic matter, traveling faster than the speed of light, never being able to move slower. That's hyperspace, a parallel universe to our own, or maybe an extra dimension or a higher plane of existence. I don't know, even after 25,000 years, we still don't have a firm grasp on what hyperspace really is, and only a part of how it reacts with the physical universe. The first recorded uses of hyperdrives were from the Corellians and the Duros. There are rumors of an even more ancient empire that used hyperdrive technology of a different sort, but such advocates are regarded as crackpots. In the early days, giant hyperspace beacons were needed for ships to travel hyperspace and arrive at their destinations. These were large space stations with powerful computers and communications arrays. They would monitor maybe a couple dozen routes through hyperspace, and link to other beacons throughout the galaxy to create a sort of lighthouse network. One of the first was even a giant work of art. You may have heard of Belgoth's Beacon. It was one of the first beacons created at the dawn of hyperspace travel and served space travelers for thousands of years. A monolithic work of art. It was destroyed during the Second Alsacan Conflict. Around about 4,000 years ago, during the times of the Mandalorian Wars, we finally figured out how to store the same data as the beacons and run those calculations in smaller and smaller computers. 
eventually into ones that could fit into a freighter, or even a snub fighter or shuttle. This was a serious advancement in technology. The calculations these computers run are massive. Think about it. Hyperspace routes exist to steer ships around gravity wells, mass shadows of stars, planets, and every other large stellar body in the galaxy. Add to this the fact that everything is constantly in motion. A nav computer has to be able to take all the data and vectors of every object within a thousand light-years of your path of travel, factor in gravitational fields and mass of objects to calculate how they'll react, and tell your hyperdrive where the safe zones are along that path. What's even more mind-boggling is that there are some races, like the Given, who can do this in their heads. Regardless, all of those factors, all those calculations, you need the most up-to-date data you can get. Out here in the Outer Rim, accurate data is hard to come by. It's not stale, not always, but it's certainly older than you'd get if you were in the core worlds. Sure, some of the planets along the main routes might be up to date, but even 50 or 100 light years from the Perelman trade route and the data file you get from a starport might be a couple weeks old. That's going to cause some delays in proper route calculations, or could even cause an accident. You don't want an accident that involves hyperspace travel. At best, you skim the edge of a mass shadow and revert into real space with no further incident. You recalculate your route from there and go. The dangers go up from there exponentially. Hit that mass shadow any harder, any more direct than a glancing blow, and your hyperdrive might crack when it merges, or your hull might. If your hyperdrive isn't maintained and gives up the ghost mid-flight, you might get stuck in hyperspace, or shunted out into real space into quite literally the middle of nowhere. That far out in deep space, no one will ever find you. The worst tragedies of hyperspace travel are those thankfully rare instances when a ship in hyperspace collides with a planet. There are safeties in place to prevent a hyperdrive from even trying to engage while pointed at a world, but tragedies have happened. The most recent example was the Republic's battlecruiser, the Quaestor. She was a marvel of engineering, with multiple reactors needed to create the energy to push a four-kilometer-long battlecruiser into hyperspace. Those reactors put out more energy than some stars. What happened to her? Look up Pamont in the Galactic Encyclopedia and you'll get the whole tragic tale. But I'll summarize for you. It was during the Clone Wars, at the Battle of Pamont. The Quaestor was damaged, and a cascade failure caused the hyperdrive to engage while the ship was pointed right at Pamont. When the Quaestor hit, the collision cracked Pamont's core, and radiation from those reactors flooded what was left of the world. Very few beings made it off Pamont. While that's an extreme case, the effect of a smaller craft, like a freighter or even a fighter, is no less devastating to the area of impact. It's as bad as a meteor strike, or an atomic weapon. As a final safety tip for traveling in hyperspace, don't go for a spacewalk while in hyperspace. Even protected, it'll kill you faster than going out an airlock in real space in your underwear. Hmm. You seem to have that glazed look on your face like some get when they stare out the windows into hyperspace for too long. <laughs> Go on, get out of here. If you take anything away from this discussion, just remember that hyperspace travel isn't like dusting crops. Check your calculations, don't blindly trust your nav data, and try to take your time if you can when you make an astrogation calculation. There's a lot that can go wrong just by traveling from one planet to the other. Thanks for stopping by. Pay your tab at the door and... May the imps always be one step behind you. Very nice, Phil. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. And we found out that's his wife doing the uh, Princess Leia impersonation. Oh, very nice. Yes, very good. And not to be outdone, of course, we have 
this. The galaxy is full of disreputable scum, reluctant allies, villains, and sappy do-gooders. Knowing who to trust and who to betray is your best chance of staying alive in the Outer Rim. Mr. Steel can give you information on anyone you need to know more about. Why don't you head to his booth, but be sure to buy him a drink for his time. If you're lucky, he'll let you listen to his latest Transmission from the Rim. Hello there. Have a seat. Oh, you brought me a drink ahead of time. How thoughtful. You didn't poison it, did you? One can never be too careful. You know, I know this nice Rhodian mercenary who's looking to join a crew of a ship as a hired gun. If you have an opening, of course. He's one lucky fellow. I'll tell you about him sometime. But it appears my droid has returned. Why don't we listen to its transmission instead? This transmission is Type 2 classified. Anybody listening without a Type 2 clearance will be court-martialed. Begin transmission. Agents in the field, this is a general information transmission. The vile hut Golga has supplanted the old criminal leadership of Lorak 5 and claimed the facility as his own domain. Any Imperial agents acting undercover in the area are to be on high alert. Golga is known to be ruthless and does not engage in political negotiations with the Empire. Golga has many typical hut qualities, like a vast knowledge of the criminal underworld, a great ability to force others to do what he wills, and the presence to command respect and lead criminal rabble. Unlike most huts, however, Golga likes to get his hands dirty. He carries two large bore blaster pistols at all times, and loves to fire them simultaneously. He has been known to kill people in his court for the slightest perceived incident of disrespect. Golga employs all kinds of vile scum in his many various criminal enterprises. He's particularly known for his underground slave trafficking and booster blue rackets. Golga puts large bounties on any individual or individuals who knowingly or unknowingly interferes with his business. He, however, prefers his bounties alive, well, at least for the time that they arrive, for he likes to force his enemies into blood sport tournaments that he has been known to run. The winner he lets live, usually. One such tourney has already been announced to occur on Rorak 5 soon. Golga is violent, and he is deadly. He is not a fool, and he doesn't like to hide his motives under the guise of deceit, like most of his kin. Steer clear of this hut. He is a formidable adversary, not worth wasting the lives of our intelligence agents on. We will let the might of the Imperial military take this threat out, if it comes to that. End transmission. Well, doesn't he sound lovely? I've never been a fan of Huts, but he sounds especially dreadful. Rorak is a system just outside Nar Shaddaa. Not a place I've ever, and I guess now will ever, pay a visit. Thanks for the drink. I'll see you some other time. Yes, another fine episode. Crimson, thank you. And, um... Where can you find these, Mr. Chris? Uh, well, Golga, uh, along with all of uh, the other wonderful NPCs from Transmissions, uh, can be found at the GSA blog. And you can find Golga right now, right now. It actually went live, like right now, 
um, as of the time we're doing this podcast, um, you can just head to uh, gsa.thegamernation.org and you can download this awesome BBEG. I really, I really like Golga. Um, I like the characterization of him, and he's uh, a threat that you can bring into your campaign that can not only be a great antagonist but can set up multiple sessions of adventures um, just by his own actions, especially if a bounty is placed on the PCs or if they're captured. I mean, they could be taken into one of these uh, uh, you know, battle royales. Um, who knows? But yeah, uh, great, great, great threat. Nicely done, Mr. Steele. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Uh, you know that music must mean that it's time for the meat of the show. And as we learned last episode, you can't beat Order 66's meat. No, you cannot. <laughs> and tonight is no different as we dive into the GM's Holocron version 2.0. Ah, uh, yes. So with the official launch of the core rulebook for Edge of the Empire, what, a scant month away? Two weeks. Two, yeah. Um, you know, a, a free RPG day module um, and, and, you know, t- coming out in two days uh, and, and the runaway success of the beginner game. Uh, Edge of the Empire players and GMs, they're, they're really kind of chomping at the bit, and, and we're seeing it, and we're hearing it. Um, they're, they're getting really excited. They're planning their campaigns. They're, they're mustering their game groups. They're firing up their laptops. They're stroking their lightsabers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> huh. yeah. Stroking their shaft. Yes. You can't beat Order 66's meat. But gaming can be a fickle mistress that demands much of your time and energy as a GM. Now, solid GMs put in a lot of prep, but that can all go out the window when your players go off the rails, as, as this wonderful system actually encourages, or when you're asked to throw down a session on the fly. Well, a long time ago, in a podcast far, far away, um, what, year one of the original Order 66 podcast? You know, five years ago? Yes, yes. That would have been five years ago, plus a little, maybe five years to the day. I don't know. Yeah, but then, well, uh, yeah, I think, I think it was late. But anyway, around that, <clears throat> we released this unassuming episode that was intended to relate our tips for just a simple method of preparation and game planning that we found invaluable uh, for all situations. And we called it the GM's Holocron. And it was an episode that you guys really liked. Uh, it helped win us an any in 2008. <laughs> yes, it did. Um, when we hit, so when we hit the reset button on the podcast last year and we shifted our focus to Edge of the Empire, uh, we found that our listeners were requesting that we re- revisit some classic discussions, um, but this time with Edge of the Empire in mind. Uh, so recently, longtime listener Durian Keldrona contacted us to do just that, asking that we take another look at the GM's holocron, uh, not only for Edge's unique needs, but also to cover some of the new technology that's cropped up in the last five years. And we thought this was a pretty good idea. Yes, we did. We did. So we are going to share with you the lessons we've learned about a method of fun prep that can turn you into a masterful GM ready to meet any challenge, derailment, or surprise session in any Edge of the Empire game and cut your weekly campaign session prep to a fraction of what it was. Mm -hmm. So fire up those laptops yet again, but for the love of Yoda, stop stroking your lightsaber already. As we crack open the GM's Holocron 2.0 tonight on the Order 66 podcast. Yes, indeed. So, all right, man. 
So we've been there and we've done that. Yeah, we have. Um, I don't know, man. Like I was prepping for tonight's show and um, kind of took our advice from the original GM's Holocron 1.0, tore it apart, reanalyzed it, updated it, added to it. Having said all that, we found that a lot of the core principles remained untouched, but all of them have been tweaked to suit Edge of the Empire specifically. So the advice we're about to give you can honestly work for most any system or genre or game, but our talk is going to be about Star Wars and Edge of the Empire specifically. Okay, so just, mm. just keep that in mind. You know, I bet that a lot of our experienced GMs might already be doing these things, and if they are, great. Good for you. Good on you, mate. Good on you, mate. That's right, yeah. but this is for everybody who needs <laughs> is <the> not. advice. <laughs> exactly. All right, man. Before, before we... K- kick off this discussion let's let's do some clarification let's talk about whether we're gonna play or whether we're gonna play Uh to play or to play all right so uh we have to clarify a few definitions and frames of game reference before we get started here Uh, a couple of primary types of games and the decision as to what type of game you're going to run is directly related to how much time and energy needs to go into planning it so you know, GMs usually experience their greatest frustration by expecting one type of session and getting the other. <laughs> <laughs> so, what what are we talking about here, man? What what is the cold hard truth of all this? The cold hard truth? Oh, that's a very that's a very interesting way to put it. When you plan for a one shot, your players can and they very well will go off the reservation with all kinds of convoluted character choices. They try to discover uncharted areas of the galaxy, plot weird-ass courses of action brought on by triumph and despair. <laughs> In other words, they're looking for and doing things you never thought about from a story perspective. Conversely, of course, when you spend hours and hours developing a heartfelt, detail-packed campaign fully versed with three acts of stuff, and it's going to go for nine different sessions and there will be a moment where you know they couldn't give it more than a cursory glance coming at it with about as much seriousness as the Fetz family jetpack technician (laughs) so yeah we're going to discuss some ways to prevent both scenarios but first let's talk about the two primary game types sessions Uh and campaigns Uh so session when we, when, when we talk about a session, this is typically what we refer to as a one-shot. Um, a bunch of friends get together, tear open a bag of Cheetos, case of Mountain Dew, and the rulebook. They build characters, and they kill stormtroopers with witty one-liners until the sun comes up, or until the convention slot is over and they hand the pregens back to you with smiles on their faces. That is a session, in and of itself. Yep. However, multiple sessions can make up the other type of game. That would be campaigns. Oh, yes. Yes. And, of course, we're all familiar with campaigns. A repeated set of multiple sessions over months, weeks, or in our case, years, linked together by overarching story and plot. Campaigns are long-running fonts of creativity and deep player interaction that, when done properly, will make a convert out of the novice and keep gaming groups together for a long, long time because they had so much fun and enjoyed it. Word. Yep. So what's the bottom line? 
Okay, so the bottom line is basically you can start with the session and come out with a campaign. True. Yeah, especially you know when the players in the session get you know incredible enjoyment out of the game, or they love where the story's going and they don't want to stop. So far, let's see in in Edge of the Empire. Um, I think that I have yet to be in a one shot where we didn't keep going afterwards, or, or want to, or want to. Yeah, exactly. And and <clears throat> you know, I, I mean, I've been there. I've been there when you've run one shots for people that you don't know. Well, convention and, play, man. Yeah, it's... yeah, exactly. And then they 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 keep saying, "What happens next?" <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know. So, um, you know, the GM Holocron is a prep tool for GMs that will cater to either one of these types. By the way, that's the bottom line is what we want to get out of this of this discussion, and hopefully, will allow you to take a session and turn it into a campaign very easily. Mm-hmm. You know, and then uh, handle the unexpected decisions that your players might make and make your session to session prep time a little bit easier. So there you go. Fantastic. The Holocorn. <laughs> the GM Holocorn. So let's talk about it, right? Oh, see, that's Holocorny. Of course it is. All right, so a lot of GMs keep what they call game Bibles, all right? Um, This is very old tactic. You know, when it comes to Star Wars, we refer to ours as a holocron for obvious reasons. In a nutshell, you should keep a book, a journal, a spiral notepad, a Word document, an Evernote file, something to plan out your adventures in. Notice that I did not say campaign or session. I said adventures. Because a holocron is for both. Yes. So, great. Wow. Thanks, GMC. Keep a campaign <laughs> notebook. What great a, advice, man. Freaking miraculous piece of advice wow. you just dropped on us. You have changed my gaming life forever. I'm so glad you're doing an entire episode devoted to this wild, crazy, outlandish, and new concept that will surely shatter the fragile minds of game masters everywhere. You are a god among advice-giving men. Okay, so the GM Holocron isn't just a campaign notebook. Frankly, a campaign notebook is where I find good GMs wasting most of their time uh, or using what time they have to minimal effect. The point of setting up a good Holocron is that you can pour hours and hours of detailed design into it and then prep very, very little when the actual game day rolls around or when any game day rolls around if you have a a, a quick throwdown that has to happen. Um it all comes down to how you structure it and how you put it together and what you put in it. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Absolutely, dude. So you know what it is, mm. is you're over planning to under plan. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but it really is the benefit of using of, of, of creating a good uh, game holocron. Dude, isn't it going to be awesome? Yeah. You build this whole thing up. You pump all, all kinds of time into it. A long time. And it does it ever really end? No, it never really does. We'll no. talk about that. Yeah. Uh, you you can keep you can keep drawing from it over and over to create a, a standalone session or a campaign session in less than half an hour. Yeah. You know, more than you, more more than ever before it works wonderfully with Edge because Edge requires less planning than Saga ever did. It does, and as we'll talk about the way that Edge handles things like threats and stat blocks, you can put more planning in than you could with Saga. 
So uh, for 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 the holocron method. Yes. So. so tell me what is in the holocron. It's got a bunch of stuff in it, right? It's all predefined for you to call on on a moment's notice. What like what? Okay. So your holocron is going to be this collection of several things, and the first thing. Um, is is the concept that we we've been preaching for a while now that your holocron needs to have in it what are called set pieces. Ooh. The like, key to a good session, in my opinion, are what I call set pieces. Maybe because I'm a fan of a cinema, but I treat the Star Wars game as a film that the players are acting in, and I imagine that the the scenes within that film are just going to look simply cool. I mean, the, the 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 narrative dice are literally designed in Edge of the Empire to create these type of effects, these cinematic cool moments, and make it feel like a film. Set pieces should comprise the majority of your holocron, and you can take 20 minutes every day with a cup of coffee, and you can create a new one, and 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 a new one. Every day, every day. (laughs) Every day, every day. Set pieces every day. Look so, at that. It's like a wrap. Yeah. <laughs> so what are set pieces, man? They're What are they? Yeah, they're I mean they're the ready-made ready- generic encounters. And they're intentionally generic, by the way. So ready-made intentionally generic encounters. Yeah. Give me what 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 do you mean, man? Give me some examples here. Okay. Let's say three PCs chained to stone pillars in an arena as wild beasts race to devour them. Does that sound familiar? Mm, yes. And hordes of drones fight an army of PC allies in the background. Oh, fantastic. Well, okay, but wh- no, wh- where's the arena? Who, who are these allies? Who, who are the drones? What, what kind of beasts? Who cares? Those are the types of decisions, really, that you're going to make in your 20-minute prep. And... You keep the set piece generic enough to accommodate any setting or situation, so you can bring in whatever you need. Ah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So let me let me try my hand at this. Okay. Um, set piece. Uh, the PCs hijack one or more open air speeders, and they engage in a race uh, through a massive city planet to catch a foe or a thief before they can escape at night in the rain with power couplings. <laughs> okay. What planet is it on? Who's the villain that they're trying to go for, and what kind of speeder is it? I'm not sure, but I don't need any of that for the set piece. Oh, see? See where we're going here? Okay, okay, okay. All right, I'm, I'm warming up. I'm warming up. I'm, g- give, me, give me another. Give me another. Um. Okay. <clears throat> Let's see. Your PCs are captured and dragged before a powerful leader. Forced to defend their actions or ask for a risky favor. And a series of NPCs will attempt to break them down. And then if they succeed, there's a bunch of snipers waiting to kill them. Okay. Uh, so um, who, who, who is this leader? Is he, is he a crime lord? Tribal chieftain? A senator? Uh, who knows? Wait till right before your session and then find out. Okay. Based on when, you know, if it's in the middle of a campaign, just plop in some characters that make sense. Okay. Okay. All right, guys. So you're starting to get the idea. Set piece is setting up all the bones and structure of an encounter without the skin. Um, 
doesn't matter where it is, doesn't matter the names of people involved, uh, you want to intentionally keep it generic. So let's talk about creating a set piece um, and, and the, the methodology that, that, that goes into that. So Dave, you're creating set pieces. What are yes. the first thing, what's, what's the first thing you do? Um, make a page for each one. Fair in your holocron, okay? Yeah, and what do you, so what, do you put in, what do you put in it? You'll make a list of these set pieces, right? And and then as you think of them, and then you can jot them down, and then later you'll like make them into the nice big ones, you know, full full blown, right? So um, you need a map, you know, or what does it look like? Okay. Sketch it out, you know, or find one as an inspiration, you know, that you could use. Uh, assuming you need a map at all. I mean, what if it's just a social set piece, right? Yeah, it's probably not going to come into play one bit. Right. Um, figure out when you get the map as to where the PCs are going to start and where the threats will be. Okay. And mark that down on your sheet. Okay. So a map developing yes. the area of the encounter. Yes. Okay. Uh, and then And then you use the list. Uh, you remember the list? Go I, back to uh, listen to episode seven if you don't remember, younglings, and reference those rules in the list to design the encounter. And you want to ensure that it's fun and has all the elements that it needs, such as hazards or difficult per- terrain. You know, what will it be, or will it even be present? You know, is this going to be in a jungle, crime-ridden alley, hangar bay, asteroid field? I mean, will there be any? Elevation? How many exits? How many entrances? All those things. Okay. Okay. Um, I don't know. What else? Kind of threats, maybe? <laughs> well, yeah. Th- th- this, is, this is another big thing. And this is where we're going to see Edge of the Empire really shining. Because like, one of the most helpful things you can do is, is figure out what types of threats you're going to need for the set piece. And thanks to the abstract threat system in Edge of the Empire, and we're not level dependent, um, uh, you can fully stat out your threats in a set piece. Just leave off the skin. Grab existing stat blocks or create new ones. Fig- basically, figure out the characteristics, the wound and the strain thresholds, the weapons and the equipment. But no names and keep the, the gear as generic as you can. Okay? Give me an example. Okay. Um, I'll create a stat block for a group of three minions with blaster carbines and armor uh, that has zero defense and a soak of two. Well, what I've just described to you, those could be per the stats that I just laid out. Stormtroopers, Black Sun Commandos, Rebel Troopers, CSA Mercenaries, Bounty Hunters, Local Militia. It doesn't matter. And I won't know till my session prep occurs. And I don't need to put it in the stat block. What I, what, what I do is I just create that stat block. Lay it out. Generically. Huh. And I've got a full stat block ready to roll. All i got to do is skin it. Okay. Um, I, I might create a stat block for an, a, a nemesis brawler with adversary two uh, with brass knuckles and a slew of nasty marauder talents. What's his name? Is he a Wookiee slave gladiator, a Masasi chieftain, a crime syndicate enforcer, the ex-shock boxing Barabel owner of a cantina? Doesn't matter because all of those people, their stat blocks are going to look almost exactly the same. This is the beauty of how threats work in Edge of the Empire compared to other systems, is that you're able to do this full stat out and just leave the skin off. Now, however, Dave, like, 
even though you're not going to be skinning these guys, you want to categorize them. Sure, yeah, yeah. Create some gener- generic categories for these yeah, guys. Yeah, so I mean, kind of gives you a flavor of, of what you're talking about, you know? Their yeah. own shtick. <clears throat> uh, you know... You know, when I'm developing a set piece, I'll think, okay, I need, um, God, I need, I need a sniper, I need a, I need a, a pack, um, a, a melee monster, and a wordsmith, and that's that. Those are my categories, and that informs the type of stat block I'm going to create. So, what are some of these category memes that you've seen me use in in my own holocron and that we've talked about before? Oh yeah, you've got healers, dual wielders, two gun joes, if you will. Mm-hmm. Brawlers, uh, politicians, beasts, nasty beasts at that, uh, and then separating the force users to light, lights, lightsaber, no, and non lightsaber. I will do that for Star Wars, yeah. Yeah, and then of course the BBEG type uh, category. Ace pilots. Um, oh yeah, pilots. Master, I forgot about those. Master politicians, um, <coughs> social sycophants, uh, which is kind of like social minions. Um, I said before, pack members. Um, you know, or minions uh, in a group, snipers, melee monsters. Um, yeah, I mean, come up with your own categories that mean something to you, and just that's what you're—that's what you should label your stat block as: healer, wordsmith, ace pilot. You know, you're still not skinning it, but you have an idea. Glancing at the stat block as to who it is and what it can do. Um. But again, you should intentionally avoid writing down whether your pack members, for example, in the set piece are Nexu, Vornskers, Stormtroopers, Mandos, or Minox. The idea, the idea is to, again, develop a template that can be quickly and easily skinned and adjusted to any game at any level of experience. Yep. The other thing when you're, when you're putting these threats into, in, into play in the set piece is you've got to figure out the numbers of the threats. <laughs> oh, Yeah. I mean, you're gonna have a pair. You have ten. What? Yeah, and and this is where it it, it you, you will need to. You know, it, it's not as so for for like for like saga. This is impossible to do because in saga, if you want to actually stat out a threat in your holocron, it's like okay, I'm gonna come up with a, a level two version, a level four version, a level seven version, a level eleven version, and all of a sudden you've got this ridiculous amount of work ahead of you. Mm-hmm. Um. Because in ed- the way the Edge of the Empire works, with its abstract threat assignment system, it comes down to quantity more than it does quality when it comes to challenging players of higher experience values. So, you know, a, a pair of henchmen can decimate a party of three. But a party of six, they can do all right against a pair of henchmen. Um, you know, you throw in an extra henchman, though, or a minion group, and the party of six is now challenged. So when you lay out your threats and you stat them, Note how many of each you should have, depending on really the number of PCs that are playing. Um, maybe for really high experience level PCs. But even then, that's what? Adding an extra line of information to your set piece? Yep. Nothing that's more. It. Nothing more. That's it. It's, it's not going to really change the work you have to do from a stat perspective. So, okay. Develop the map. Create the, in other words, create the encounter area. Apply the list to it. And flesh out your threats, okay? Or, 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 you know, build your threats. Just don't skin them. And you're done with the set piece. That's it. When, when it's done, you'll have a full page in your holocron that lays out where this scene takes place, a climate or a setting, what the encounter area looks like, 
what threats there are, depending on the number of PCs, and what they can do. Where is it happening? What are these people's names? What's the color of their armor? What insignia is on it? <laughs> it doesn't matter. And you don't want that in the set piece. Yeah. So there. So there. So talk to me about using set pieces. Okay, we've, we've talked about what they are. We've talked about how to create them. How do we use them? Yeah, so, you know, you've gone through all that work to create your set pieces, and now you're getting ready to put together a pull, you know, particular session. And all, all you really have to do now is just go through those set pieces and say, hey, that'd be cool. The map's already made. Counter mechanics are already set. Threats are already defined. Now you just have a three-minute task of figuring out what planet this is on, labeling the generic cities or you know, sectors and, and the threats. Okay, so let's say there are four PCs. The The party has arrived on this Imperial prison facility on Corellia. Okay. I've got a set piece already fleshed out where the party is breaking a past a massive wall with a door that needs to be disabled. That's perfect. Okay, there's a sniper, a three-minion group, and a wordsmith guard um, at the door. Hmm, okay. I guess I'll use uh, stormtroopers for the sniper and minions uh, and an imperial officer as the wordsmith. There, I'm done. Boom. Boom. Have so, a nice day. <laughs> you, you're, you're prepping for the session. You know from a story perspective where the PCs are, who the antagonists are. You just take the set piece and you skin it to match it. Boom. 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 Yes. Boom. Yes. Okay. So there you go. So that's set pieces. That's set pieces. We, we love set pieces. Back, back five years ago after we had the first episode of, of the Holocron, like people started set piece threads on our forums. I mean, <laughs> posting up their own set pieces, all right, to share, all right? Um, so highly recommend set pieces, and they're going to be the key integral part and the most important part of your holocron if you do nothing else in your holocron set pieces are going to make your life easy and they're going to make your prep easy yes so what is next after set pieces well i'm glad you asked oh it's npcs yep lots and lots of npcs so what you need to do basically is take the time to stat out as many npcs as you possibly can Good good news is that Edge of the Empire, this is ridiculously fast. Yes, it is. You know, just kind of let your mind flow across the gamut of all the films you've ever seen, which should be all of them, and all the EU that you've ever read, for some more than others. Jot down some of the key figures that deserve to be fleshed out, that Twi'lek use speeder salesmen or the human female fallen Jedi. Maybe the Zabrak industrial magnet, or... The Jawa mechanic. A Zeltron pilot. Who knows? Take the time to develop several dozen, maybe get into three digits of NPCs. Eventually. Yeah. I mean, just a paragraph for each will do. You don't have to go that far. You know, you can write a little backstory. That'll okay. help It'll help the character's attitude, you know, if you write a little bit of a general one, right? True, true. So do you want specific names? 
you I mean, in, in a backstory, no. I mean, that would, that would kind of defeat the purpose. You want to avoid those if at all possible. Yeah, I would say that. So instead of saying that the character's mother, a Mandalorian exile named Karina Katras, was murdered by the vile gangster Jabba the Hutt, simply say that a NPC's mother, a mercenary, was murdered by a crime lord. Leave the details out, and you fill it in later with whatever's going on in your plot. Right? Maybe a sentence. Maybe two. So, yeah, this thing. This should be a single sentence in terms of this small backstory, right? Now, we're not saying don't name the NPC. Name your NPCs, because that's another huge feature, too. I mean, how many times have you had to struggle to think of of a name when you're GMing a game, and you can some random NPC has to be pulled out of your butt? Yeah, his name is, uh... (laughs) Bill. (laughs) I mean, name them. Just don't put naming-level detail into their histories. So, okay. Backstory. Generic. Give them a name. What else do you give them? Idiosyncrasies. Mm. A distinguishing physical trait and at least one distinguishing mental trait. So your guy has a missing eye or a facial tattoo. Maybe he has shaky hands. He stutters. Maybe he can't lie successfully. (laughs) Addicted to gambling. I don't know. You know, little things that add humanism and allow the PCs to remember the character. It's going to add a lot of enjoyment for you and your players. And, I mean, I still remember Newt Findos to this day. <laughs> Just because of his mannerisms. Yes. Yeah. And, then and, you know, and it creates a potential uh, plot hook for the story and for the PCs because you never know what is going to happen in an encounter. So when you're going through this process, you can write a small backstory, or you can create the idiosyncrasies. It's a lot of fun. Or you can do what I do most often. Cheat! You can cheat. Yep. Uh, yep. This is the most common method I use in my own holocron uh, by a ratio of about 95%. The bottom line is this, man. As creative as you are, the best concepts for NPCs have already been written and they've already been performed. So use them. And don't limit it to Star Wars. Take the time to make yourself a long list of film or literary characters that you know really well. You, I mean, you, they have a, a place in your cultural mind. You innately know their mannerisms, their speech patterns, their attitudes, and their appearance when you hear their names. So I might create an NPC and just jot down a name next to him. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll name the NPC. I'll come up with a name for him. And then in parentheses, I'll put whatever his archetype is from this film or literary character. And that's it. That's all I got for the guy, and that's all I need, okay? Um, Rooster Cogburn, Wolverine, Shepherd Book, Kevin Flynn, Jamie Lannister, Morpheus. Morpheus, yes. Captain Ahab, okay? I can run... Scarface, <laughs> yes! Yeah, Scarface. In the, in the chat room, there it is. Scarface, Clint Eastwood, whatever. Just lay down 20 or 30 distinct characters and when it comes time to create an npc you just choose one of these personalities for them if i write jane cobb next to an npc's name i know instantaneously how the npc acts thinks feels speaks and looks okay i know instantly and i can describe automatically to my players i can i can take on that role without even having to go into a a sentence or two of backstory okay yes 
Hey, um, so the the chat room is running away with the uh, the giant announcement we're going to make at the end. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stop for a second and tell the chat room that all you guys that are planning on creating all this content for the GSA don't. <laughs> because although the GSA serves its purpose as a as a good news site, all these things are they're not really linked all that well. So off the D20 Radio main page, we will have for Edge of the Empire a wiki. Yes, we will. And I'm going to be setting that up in the next week. And that way anybody who wants to contribute can contribute. Set pieces, NPCs, whatever. Dono, I'm looking at you. <laughs> Good break. Yes. Yes. So expect that coming. We'll give you more detail in a bit. Um but yeah. So using this cheating method, Dave, you can give life and remembrance to nearly any PC NPC you want with little to no effort. Um I've even like contemplated you got you guys can take these names, you know, of your literary film characters, put them into a table and assign percentage rolls to each name. If you're forced to throw a random PC into the session, roll up a personality for him. <laughs> Let me see. Oh, uh, 62. Oh, hey, Jamie Lannister. All right. I know who this guy is. And, you know, that's it. Now, here's the question, right? We've said that you want to create this, this list of a couple dozen NPCs, okay, just ready to go. So you have these names and you have personalities that you can instantly inject into the story. Do you stat them out? Sure. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe. That's a good maybe. It, it, it's a good maybe. And, and here's why we say this, guys. The, the intent here is that when you've picked your set piece and you know what the threats are going to be, you can flip to this section of your holocron and give those meaningful threats, the meaningful th- threats that need them, a true face. Who are they? What are their memorable features? Okay. In other words, if set pieces give you the bones of your threats, the NPC section is going to give you the skins to throw on those bones. And if that's the case, you might not need to put a stat block in with these NPC, because after all, the set piece already has one. But considering how easy it is to make stat blocks in the system, it's not a bad idea to do so in case you need an instant NPC outside of the encounter or the planned set piece in a hurry. Just don't feel tied to that stat block. That's all I'm saying. Yep. Yep. So ultimately... When it comes time to add the proper NPC to your encounter, mm-hmm. whether it's a part of a set piece or a memorable contact or mini boss or even a BBEG, all you really have to go is through your listed NPCs and grab one that makes the grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you have to update the name or the race or whatever gear, but most of the work, just like your set piece, was already done. Yep. That's it. Okay, so if, if set pieces comprise the majority of your holocron, NPCs section you know, uh, comprises not the majority, but a heavy portion of your holocron, a small portion of your holocron, as a good rule of thumb, should be devoted to the next couple things. Uh, gear? And ships. Oh, yes, indeed. Duh. Yep, yep. Honestly, sometimes the most tedious part of a game that can really slow things down mid-session, in, in my experience, 
if you're running off the rails especially, um, or you don't have it planned out, is deciding what your players are going to find or be able to acquire. Um, common things like unusual weapons or unique items that are taken from a fallen foe, uh, or a ship that is purchased or hijacked in a hurry when fleeing Imperials on a space station. Um, having a, uh, those types of things at your fingertips ready to go when you need them, um, whether it's on the fly because things have gone off the rails or just to grab them when you're planning your session, invaluable. Yep. So talk to me about ships, dude. Uh, okay, what, first... What do we need? Do we first, <laughs> first and foremost, give your ship a name. <laughs> okay, sometimes this can be the stupid, most stupidly long portion of acquiring a ship. Just give it a name. Write it down. <laughs> All right, um... Uh, note any special facilities or equipment that the ship has. Um, all the stats, if it's homebrewed or you know if it's taken from the book, just grab it. Um, you know, uh, you know, uh, maybe even just if you, if you, if it's out of the book, just put a page reference on it, and you can you know sure. you can thumb to it later. Sure. Um, for equipment's sake. You just remember that Edge is not like its predecessors. Mm-hmm. Um, just like Star Wars role playing is not like D anD. D. I find it interesting because we've always said this. You know, Star Wars is not D anD. D. It's very different. Edge is not like other Star Wars role playing games. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's like we we you, you take a step down when you're talking about Star Wars, and you take another step down when you're talking about Edge of the Empire. Right. So yeah, I mean, basically, there's so much of a less of a preoccupation on, on picking up loot. Yeah. Right? You know, I mean, uh, you know, of, of course, having said that, it's still fun to let your players find cool stuff, and sometimes, uh, you know, the rules even offer some fun options to make memorable pieces of equipment, you know, and sometimes you have plot hooks buried in rooms and, you know, on players' bodies, on you know, NPCs' bodies and things like that. So, you know, it's worthwhile to write down in a separate little equipment section, the stats, and even the names for cool items with enhancements already attached, or perhaps, um, you know, various modifications already added to them. Um, you know, I I don't know that I would go so far to create groupings of equipment. Oh, I you know? do. <laughs> oh, really? Awesome. Yeah. Okay, okay. So then go ahead. Go ahead and, and, and create groupings of equipment and attach possible settings to them, you know? Well, so just it, it, grab it, it and go. That's the thing, and that's to taste. I mean, I mean, I, I, I like I know how you play, and I know how you like to you like to run, and that's not up your alley at all. <laughs> but like, but like for me, I, I like in my organization, it's like uh, in my holocron, I'll have a a grouping of equipment called like stormtrooper minion gear, and and it's like after after it, and it's there to when a battle's over. If I have some hapless PC that says I want to loot the bodies, I can just go. Yep, here's what you find. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you you got you got a blaster carbine, two two blaster carbines, one of which is functional, one of which is damaged. Um, you have uh, what looks like a sweet little uh, holdout blaster, maybe a family heirloom that's been modified. These are the modifications on it. Um, you've got a couple transceivers, you got a transponder, you got, and you just make a small list. And and that's what I, you know when they say, what do I find? Boom! It's right there on my holocron for that. You know when when they've killed a group of minion stormtroopers. But I mean that's that's a little tedious. But it's it's helped me in the past. Yeah. Boom. Um. Yeah. So it lets you grab it and go, and then you know. I mean, if there's anything to find, you're 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 you've got it right there listed. 
when uh-huh. your when your party looks for it, at least like you said. So, uh-huh. all right, man, throw it all together for us. <sighs> the holocron, set pieces, NPCs, ships, equipment, all of it generic, all of it in one giant place. All of this, listen carefully, takes hours and hours and hours of work. Less so in this system, <laughs> but it still takes hours of work. Days. It, it really does. And as you said earlier, Dave, you're never going to stop. <laughs> Ever. You will add to the holocron constantly and frequently. And you should! Why? Because when the time comes, you've got all that you need to throw together, literally throw together, a deep, meaningful, well-designed, well thought out campaign that you can draw from session to session and you got what you need to simply draw from to throw together a one shot with the same level of depth and balance and design and then put the holocron away until the next game a GM can spend 20 minutes a day adding to their holocron 20 minutes a day do it after dinner do it when you wake up in the morning create a new set piece a new NPC, a new ship, a couple sets of new gear. After a few weeks, you have this hardcore holocron that really does become your game Bible. It is this ultimate personal GM resource where you can quickly throw together a session that doesn't feel like it was thrown together because it really hasn't been. All the work and the planning was just front-loaded. I mean, what, what is it you said earlier, Dave? The over-preparing to under-prepare? Yes. I mean, and, and that's it. That's it. So, all right, man. That's creating the holocron. Using it. All right, man. So, I, I want to start a campaign. I got my holocron. What do I do? Um, start making notes. Oh, okay. Of, of what? Um, what's the ultimate campaign goal? Okay. Uh, what's the meta plot? start thinking about how you're going to guide the players there and what steps it'll take along the way to do that. Okay. General outline for my campaign. Got it. Yeah. You know what? And then break down those steps and try to devote a single game session to one or two of those steps. Okay. And so now you're, now you know how many sessions you're going to have to have and what you want to get accomplished during each session, because Lord knows you don't always get everything you want accomplished. Right. Um, Congratulations, you're done. You've designed your campaign. Oh, okay. I mean, at least you've got the shell of it, right? So when it actually comes time to plan the session, then you look at your outline and see what you need to accomplish. And then guess what? All you need for that session is a series of encounters mm. and... The holocron. A few set pieces that are in those encounters, right? And and you pull out your holocron, bam. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, like, so I mean, in, like in my estimation, each session should have at least one, hopefully two set pieces in it that comprise good encounters, right? Um, yeah, I've even ha- I've even done sessions where I've used the same set piece skin differently in the same session. I had one where I had two bar fights <laughs> on different planets. Um, the details were just different. 
So yeah, man, choose the set pieces you envision and begin the process of turning them into encounter scenes. Skin the threats for your set pieces that you've chosen. Add any appropriate NPCs you need to. You already have all the information you need in your holocron. So what, man? Ultimately, I, 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 I do an outline for my campaign, and then before each session, I've got, what, 20, 30 minutes prep, maybe? Sure. I mean, yeah. provided I've got a good filled holocron ready to go. Yeah. And that's it. I've, I've, I've already got NPCs fully fleshed out with loads of personal detail and character, set-piece encounters that are memorable and follow all the rules of good encounter design, and I've got any equipment that I may need to have that relates to the encounter already grouped. My session should be fun, memorable, and organized, and it took me 20 minutes. There is a key to remember, though, when using the Holocron with an ongoing campaign, and it's an important one. And it is about waiting. (laughs) Ah. Most GMs do this because they have to, not because they want to. But make make yourself do it. What am I what am I talking about, dude? Waiting waiting for what? Waiting to build the session before the session? So don't build out five sessions in advance was what you're saying. Yeah, because Players can and will derail your plan. <laughs> but th- this is this is the beauty of what a holocron can do for you. I mean, I want to wait until after that last session to see what they did and what they didn't do and what derailments they did a- accomplish. What obligations did they earn that I didn't expect? What what obligations did they reduce that I didn't expect? What was the full outcome? I want to know that before I cook up my next session from the recipes I have in my holocron. And because I have a holocron, and because it takes me 20 to 30 minutes to prep a session, I have the luxury of doing that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. This is the holocron in a nutshell. All right? You're pre-building as much as you possibly can, but you're keeping it generic so that you can call on it when you need it. Ironically, this actually prevents railroading to a very large degree because it allows you to be more spontaneous in session-by-session design. We've talked about all this. What's the best way to physically do it, man? Talk to me about this. How do we, how do we actually keep the physical holocron? What are the best ways to do this? Okay, so let's talk old school. So part of the allure of tabletop gaming for a lot of people is the chance to handle actual real paper, pencils, dice, and little little tiny little figures with little lightsabers. <laughs> yes. So a lot of GMs keep these uh, archaically obtuse game books that are literally falling apart at the seams, flogged with handwritten notes, opening crawl, stat blocks, and counter ideas, and pieces of graph paper with well hand-drawn maps you know pasted to the pages along with sketches and pictures printed from wikipedia and other musings um you know there are a lot of companies out there that actually sell game master guides which are books that break all your campaign info down into sections and stuff and i find these resources useful but you know they're restrictive and 
Like I said, it's old school. So, if you were, you would prefer like a moleskin or composition ledger, cheap, tough, easy to write in. Dude, I still, um, I've got... (laughs) I've got all these old school like composition ledgers and stuff on my shelf still, you know, a, a decade and a half old now from each one of my campaigns. I still keep that stuff, man. I, I got all my old school stuff. See, there you go. Of course, you know, you've got the old, but then there's the new. Yeah, this, I don't use those anymore. <laughs> this is the 21st century, dude. You know what? Laptops and iPads are pretty damn useful. Yes, they are. And if I were you, this is where all of your holocron planning should occur now. It's where, it's where mine does. Yep. I mean, a wealth of options available to you here, right? So you've got Word, or, you know, even if you don't or can't afford Word, there's plenty of options out there that are free. Open Office, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the simplest e-holocrons would be is a, is a Word file where you can just put graphics and maps and images and grids in there for stat blocks. Totally. Some of you may have access to Microsoft Publisher. Mm. Do you um, use Publisher at all? I don't really use it because I'm an Apple guy now, so I've got all this Adobe stuff that I can use, which is really yeah. awesome. Well, dude, Audible some of that stuff, man. If you if you know anything about it, please. Well, you know, there are... Oh, you know what? I Off the top of my head, I don't know. I'll put it... You know what? I'll put it on the wiki. I mean, there's also Google Docs as another option, but honestly, that's just another word processor when you get down to it, yeah. with the only problem, the fact that you have to be on the cloud in order to access it. Um, but that's another option as well. But I don't know. I've, I've used MS Publisher a couple times. I know a couple GMs that use it uh, pretty heavily because, I mean, it's just, it's MS Publisher. It's like a, it's like a e-scrapbook when you really get down to it. Yeah, I mean, you could you could use... I'm trying to think of what its counterpart would be with with the Adobe stuff, and I, you know, I mean, sure, you can use Photoshop and you can use Fireworks and all that stuff, but it, you know, it's it's they're a little bit more involved because they're high, they're they're real niche, you know. I have a personal favorite, um, of 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 all the new things, and we we're, we still got a couple more to talk about, but this one is it's this one is my clear favorite. Have you used Evernote? Uh, no, I haven't. Holy crap! Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna pimp out Evernote to all of you guys that are wanting to have a 21st century solution for your holocrons. So there, there's a lot of products out there that can do what Evernote does, um, uh, but from my experience, nothing does it better. Evernote is this crazy program that is free. Okay, um, it works best if you have an MS Office suite um, because it integrates with all those things very easily. But a lot of us do. Um, but it is this highly intuitive note-taking and archiving application. It lets you group and compile formatted text, full web pages, excerpts uh, from web pages, images, photos, sound files, videos, PDFs. You can group them, organize them easily. It's very intuitive, and it has embedded fuzzy search logic to let you locate whatever you want wherever it's stored. Okay. (laughs) Um, So you can go crazy with your Holocron. If you're keeping it in Evernote, you can find anything you want with a, a couple words and a mouse click. And it can all be stored locally or it can be stored in the cloud. And it has free apps for iOS devices, Android devices, Windows mobile devices, and BlackBerry. 
and it syncs across all your devices and your PCs, meaning that you can access your full holocron with your smartphone or your tablet anytime, anywhere. You can see why I like Evernote. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. Uh, uh, there are a couple other options, too, that are really worth mentioning. Yeah? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, there's... Um, there's have, you heard, a, have, you the, have you heard of the Keep? I have heard of the Keep. Um, it, it basically does a lot of what Evernote does, but it's specifically designed for RPGs. Yeah. With with like an integrated dice roller, you know, but that doesn't help with edge really. Um <laughs> but it's got some fractal mapping integration and um it's only thirty or thirty five bucks, you know, if you want to check it out. But um it, it is a standalone app. It's not web based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, from what I understand about it, the the fans are rabid fans. Yeah. And man. if you're it, a keep user, you are a rabid keep user. Yeah. Um, even though it says it's system agnostic, though, when I took a swim through it before the show, um, it really favors fantasy campaigns and D&D style type stuff. Yeah, I'm probably going to get a stone thrown at me for saying that, too. But, yeah, I, I, it really does. Yeah. But, you know, hey, we'll take it. Uh, and then there's Obsidian Portal. Oh, man, we we can't. We got to talk about it. You know, and it's it's it. Yeah, because it's a fan loved you know, it's a great option. It's won a couple of Ennies. And many other and, and others, yes, yes, exactly. I mean, it, it it is completely browser, you know, like cloud-based. And uh, not only can you create a holocron with the functionality of Evernote, but it shares bits and pieces with your other players real easy. So it yeah. works wonderful with Skype games. Oh, yeah. You can, you can, because you can let other people, other players log into Obsidian Portal and you can choose with them things to share. So you can add things to your set pieces or your encounter design, like, uh, you know, data pad images uh, if you want to transmit data or NPC pictures, stuff like that. Yeah, totally. Dight. Dight. So here's the final truth. Word. Ladies and germs. Word. It honestly doesn't matter how you record your holocron. What matters is that you do it. Do it. Taking taking the time to throw 10 hours into building a massive holocron can literally satisfy dozens of sessions worth of gaming. And if you spend an hour each week to constantly build that thing, it becomes this bottomless well that you could forever draw from. Um, It can make you fully capable of completely prepping a campaign session in less than half an hour, and it can let you throw together a one-shot with only a few minutes of prep. This is the Holocron 2.0. It is better suited for Edge of the Empire than any other Star Wars system I've played because I think you can do more with the Holocron model because of Edge's unique properties. And honestly, I hope this look into our crazy methods has inspired you all. So, So go get out there. Get your get your holocron on, and start sharing your set pieces, and tell us more about the wiki, dude. Because let, let's let's talk about let's call an audible and talk about this. I'm, I was very excited to hear this, and I I think it's a it's a fantastic fantastic idea. All right, so um, here's basically here's the deal. Um, there will be going up momentarily a directory on d20radio.com, which is. Um, going to be d20radio.com slash gmholocron. 
And within that will be uh, a wiki that I still need to set up. And <clears throat> I think to start, I'll make some generic sections. Uh, I've titled it Edge of the Empire GM Holocron. So the shell of it is there. It's installed. What I need to do is, is do the admin stuff, right? I need to create partitions, if you will. I need to create sections, logical sections. To I don't know, maybe things like set pieces, NPCs, yeah. ships, ships, equipment. <laughs> equipment, exactly. You know, all the stuff that we talked about on the show. The beauty of it is it's a wiki. It exists. It's, you can access it from anywhere you have an internet connection. The better thing is that if our listeners will use it, it can become a fantastic source of Edge of the Empire specific information to build your session or campaign. So what you're saying is it's a community holocron. It is a community holocron. (laughs) Gosh, it's almost like we planned that. One would think. <laughs> so, yes, make your own holocrons, boys and girls. Use them religiously. They will help you. But we encourage you to help us make a community holocron. We've outlined for you how this is all supposed to work, how these set pieces are supposed to be created, how you should quickly and, and very succinct, succinctly create NPCs or... or, or uh, uh, the characters and other items for the holocron. This is your chance to put it into action and share that work with everyone and benefit from everyone else's work. So let's do it together. We're going to have more information on uh, on the the wiki holocron. Um, gosh, I guess when you when you when you've got it finished built uh, when you, we finish building it, Dave. I'm not sure what your timetables are on that, but we, we're probably going to have an update uh, right around the next show. Yeah. Yeah, I would say we'd have a, a nice big update by the time the next show rolls around. Um, okay. Um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how, you know, I don't know. We'll see how uh, how hard or how difficult or how easy it is to set up the stuff up. <laughs> so, you know. I've, well, enough I've, Yahoo's out there do it. Yeah, I've never I've never set up an application, I mean, you know, wiki or anything like that. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> And that is the Holocron 2.0. It is. It is. Of course. So, as we leave you tonight... We want to, of course, issue the call to become a member of the Gamer Nation. Go to d20radio.com slash forums, register, post your mind. Or call us and leave us a line or tell us why you never listen to the Order 66 podcast. You can do that at area code 262-D20-RADIO or 262-320-7234. Of course, you can email us. I'm GM Dave. He's GM Chris at d20radio.com. Find us on the Facebooks. Facebook. D20 Radio. Yes, the group D20 Radio. And we got one the other day, and 
I forgot totally that this feature actually existed on iTunes, but we got a good review about <laughs> three weeks ago. And it's the first review we've had since 2012. Well, that we have a lot of new listeners now that sense, joined yeah. us from Fantasy Flight. So yeah. we would like to direct your attention to our sparkling record, which I might add. Uh, I believe we have 144 reviews on iTunes and 139 of them are five star. Ooh. Yes, there's like four four stars and then one asshole gave us a one. <laughs> and that Who was, is he? I'm going to burn his house down. Uh, that was probably the guy that was jealous that we got the podcast off the ground before he did. Oh, I yeah. don't know. I, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. You guys do us a favor, go over to iTunes, and if you haven't left us a review, you know, rate us five stars and give us a review. That'd be great. I think some of that drives, like, where you get located on the iTunes page, too. But I don't know. On mm. that on that there, I too. Who knows how Apple does things? I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Gamer it's, Nation, it's thank you for tuning in and listening. Uh, we do greatly appreciate it. And, again, I call to you to get to the forums. Head to www.d20radio.com slash forums. Register, post your mind, and tell us what you'd like us to talk about. We obviously have a few planned shows in the can coming up to the release of the book. And after that, uh, we're going to have quite a bit to talk about. Um, but we want to know what order you'd like us to talk about all that in. Um, you know, the book release is coming. And honestly, where should we start? Um, get to the forums. Let us know. And while you're there, post up your questions for, uh, for messages from the edge. Uh, get suggestions on there for, for Watto's Black Market, um, as well as Skill Monkey. There is a dedicated uh, thread for that as well. So thank you all for listening. We have an answer. The chat room says that it was some fascist that was upset that I uh, remember way back when, when during the presidential campaigns, uh-huh. I would I would play this is Barack Obama and I approve this message. Oh, that was hilarious! Yeah, yeah. And before the show, like you know, you he, like he approved the podcast, and then I would, and then I think I followed that up with Mitt Romney or whoever. Right? Well, yes. he got pissed off. He must be a you know conservative fascist. He got pissed off that I put the Democrat one on there, of course. So you know. That's ironic because, you know, yeah. you're not exactly liberal. I'm not exactly liberal, <laughs> you know, so fine. You, you a Texas boy. I, I am I am a gun-toting, <laughs> criminal-killing machine. I, you know, string you're them up. You're bad. I know you're it. bad. I know it. I know you're it. I know bad. it. And you ran a yellow light yesterday. That's all for po- That's all for politics on the podcast. Thank you very much, and let's go ahead and end the show. <laughs> yeah, don't really yeah, Okay, fantastic Good for you and solid and right on This podcast and related website Are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited The Walt Disney Corporation, 20th Century Fox Or Fantasy Flight Games It is intended for educational and informational purposes only Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names, pictures Or references to any Star Wars vehicles, characters Or other Star Wars related items Are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited, Fantasy Flight Games Or their respective trademark or copyright holders All original content of this podcast Including any audio, visual, or textual information Is the intellectual property of the Order 66 Podcast And the Gamer Nation LLC show.
course, I didn't even ask you if you had time for post. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I have a little bit of time. Ah, okay. All right, so there is um, there's one thing that I am going to reluctantly pimp out. Okay. Uh, and that is my own personal endeavor that I started that I'm going to expect the Gamer Nation to hold me accountable to. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is the idea that, uh, you know, a lot of gamers out there, including myself, have what doctors call a little bit of a weight problem. I, you know, you would acknowledge gamer large is really 2x, right? Yeah, 2x is gamer large. Yeah. So, what I've done is I've created a somewhat regular every day or every two or three days podcast called The OG. Stands for The Overweight Gamer. Okay. <laughs> uh, I got I put one episode up last night, yesterday, and uh, I will put up another one tomorrow. And what it's going to be, literally, is a chronicle of how Dave is going to lose 100 pounds. It's a tall order, son. It is a tall order, and I want to do it by my birthday. Eight months. That's a lot of weight to lose in eight months, man. I know it is. I know it is. So I've enlisted the help of the friendly folks at AdvoCare. Which, you know, some people say it's awesome. Some people don't believe in it. You know, herbal supplements and the like and all that jazz. My brother's soon-to-be wife is a distributor for them. So I hit her up and got one of those, they call it a 24-day challenge. Basically, it's a bunch of herbal stuff and protein and, and fiber shakes and stuff like that to cleanse your system before you start on a diet. Okay. So I'm going to do that for 10 days, and then I'm going to start a metabolism-enhancing thing, you know, that, again, is, you know, herbal remedies and stuff, for 14 more days, and then <laughs> and then I'm going to go to the Bahamas. <laughs> Where you're going to blow it all out the window. And then I'm going to go to the Philippines. So... That's right. You're going back. Yep. So it's uh, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to 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 tell the to say the the least. But here's it's, where it's you, dude. Though seriously, yes, this is a goal, right? This is. A, I mean, uh, I I play this song off the top that um, that I found just scurrying about YouTube, which is you know it's kind of for me it's kind of a heartfelt thing you know of, of basically it's a song of, of saying you know you don't want to ever surrender but sometimes you get tired of looking at yourself in the mirror and you don't want to be that person well that's where it's at and so you know I want to live to to see my daughter's 21st birthday and I definitely want to live to see her walk down the aisle and at you know over 300 pounds that's not going to happen so I need to change FNA, dude. Good for you. Yes. Good for you. No, no haggis, chat room. <laughs> anyway, it, it got approved on iTunes. It's up. It's uh, available right now. So if you guys awesome. want to take a look at it, it's called The OG. Um, and there is a there is a blog associated with it where I'm like cataloging my meal choices and my... Uh, my uh, shopping list and all that. So if somebody wants to say, hey, Dave did it, 
I can do it too. You will have a plan, almost like a dieter's GM holocron, to follow. And then obviously you can listen to the podcast. I'm going to go every you know day or two days or whatever. And and uh, you know I'm I'm pleased to say after a day and a half I've lost three and a half pounds already. But you know I you know full well it's water weight. You know stuff that you <laughs> shed pretty quick. So yeah, I expected to lose like ten pounds in the first week, and that's just water weight. Ooh. Yeah. So. Just wait, man. I uh, I can't wait. I'm, by by February, I'm going to be back. I'm going to be back on the pitch, and I'm going to be refereeing like U19 men's games. Dude. Yeah, that's that's the hardest. That's the hardest of the hard. Dude. Yep. Well, get your cardio in. Heck yeah, dude. The average referee runs over three miles in a given game. Oh God. Yep. I'm sweating thinking about that. <laughs> I know. I know it. So uh, you guys can find it at the OG. That's T H E O G dot D twenty radio dot com. That's where you'll find it. Dude. A little subdomain. Yep. Very cool. So I'm going right. to keep it updated and invite everybody to PM me and email me that you're a slouch and you're a loser if I don't follow up. Because that's I'll tell what it I'm to expecting. your face, man. I know. That's what I see. That's what I'm expecting because, you know. Well, I'll tell you now. Yeah, you're a slouch. Is that, or is, that pre, is that preemptive? I don't That's know. preemptive, dude. Okay. It's preemptive. I have trouble with that concept. I've been at it for two days. Day zero and day one. Dude. Yeah. Can, can we start a pool? <laughs> you could start a pool. <laughs> you could. I don't, just don't put a time frame on it because I think, I think eight months is a little bit too extreme. No, yeah. no, no. A pool for when you're going to quit. Oh, a, oh. <laughs> A pool this, as to this is a this is a day falling off the wagon pool. Yeah, I, I would I would say that August the fourteenth is probably a pretty good date. Man, I'm a supportive friend, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, if you guys if you, if you guys want to if you guys want to try and tempt me, that that will be the time. Everybody try and tempt me at Gen Con. Oh man, yeah. That's why I shouldn't start a pool because I'll I'll force you off the wagon. And like, it's, hey Dave, you want to go have sushi? That's, uh, <laughs> ah, sushi is on, dude. Sushi is there. Sushi cons- consists of protein, complex carbs, and some vegetables, depending on what you have. Sushi is very good. Anyway, yes. Well, good for you, man. I'm very proud of you. That's good. Yeah, that was my announcement for post-show. Good. God, post-show, post-show. Um, uh, I finally got the chance to throw down Better Angels on Skype. Really? Yes. And how did that work for you? Well, dude, um, highly enjoyable, highly enjoyable. Um, I recommend Better Angels. Uh, the PDF is already available for sale. Those of us who backed it on Kickstarter already got it. Um, and the, 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 the hard copy is, is being, being, dis, being produced as we speak. Um, I uh, got the chance to get Better Angels on the table. I got the chance to play in an Eclipse phase game finally that Cat ran for us. Um, cool. on Skype. Um, and That's I'm awesome. currently reading through another little, little, you know, indie game style, perfect bound RPG, um, that Kat lent to me called Tech Noir. Oh yeah. And, uh, I'm really intrigued. Um, it's all, God, it's, it's all, it's almost like a, from a mechanics perspective, it's almost like a combination of the mechanics of Edge of the Empire and Better Angels. <laughs> Maybe that's why I like it. Maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, very interesting. Highly, highly recommend that. 
Wow. Um, like to get that on the table soon. Um, what else? Finally got the chance to play uh, board game side. Finally got the chance to play Power Grid First Sparks. Oh, you told me about this. Yeah, great, great, man. It's like all the fun of Power Grid. It takes about an hour to play. <laughs> As opposed to three. Um, yeah, uh, really, really like that. And the board's modular. It's different every time you play. And that's always a huge win in a game for me. Cool. And one of the few weaknesses that Power Grid has. Speaking of board games, I got Blood Bowl Team Manager. It may be old news for some of you, but I've wanted it for a long time. I found it and I bought it. Dude. Yes. Dude. I've never played, but I've heard good things. Yeah, I know. I need to uh I need to bust it out next time we uh Hell yeah. we see each other and um Yeah, so dude. Dude, was, oh yeah. I'm all about that. All about it. So have you gone to see Star Trek yet? No. My God. wife, I know, and we never, because Smalls. I, I was so, I was so jacked up with my time. I was, I was asleep at 4 p.m. every day just about last week. And then my wife traveled all day, all week this week. So the plan is that we're going to go see it tomorrow night when she okay. gets back into town. That's the plan. And so, you know, next Monday when we have our next show, we can, we can talk about it. Okay. Okay. I know. Well, I know. Well, I'll hold off. I know. Lost. We can talk about that. And make it a double feature, dude. Go see Superman too. Go see Man of Steel, so we can we can talk about that too. Ah, the new Superman. I've heard it sucks. I've heard the opposite. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. So. And that was just you know from some probably from some. Uh, that's the singular thing that I've even seen on it because I haven't really looked, and that was probably some critic that was pissed off. Probably. Yeah. You never know. Never trust one. The sample size is just far too small. <laughs> Sample size is far too small. I never, I never agree with critics. I enjoy movies they pan, so that's just kind of how it is, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. What else you got? Anything? No, man. Short post. Nothing new for me. Aside from all the gloriousness we've already talked about, it's far out and solid and right on. Oh, uh, last night I um ran a Skype group through um, a, an adventure I've, uh, or the start of an adventure I've been kicking around um, in an outline perspective, um, pulling a few pieces from my own holocron, um, which is uh, going to be a prequel to uh, just a one-shot, one-act prequel to uh, the Enemy of My Enemy series that I published yeah. um, on, and is available on the D20 Radio website. Um, you can find a link, on the, link directly to it on our forums uh, in the Order 66 section. Um, and yeah, awesome. Yeah. Uh, one final thing for those of you eons fans out there, the, the production is just about to wrap up and get the, <laughs> yes, we just found out it should be done within about seven more days and be on that big boat <laughs> to America before the end of the month, which gets it here before about the end of July, which is about what he expected. Yes. So we're on time. Bye. Bye. Love it. We are on time. The additional stuff for all of you gamer people uh, is being ordered on Saturday. That is your, that is all your like individual collector cards that y'all wanted or bought or whatever. Those are the uh, co-op rules. Those are done now and they're being printed. Mm-hmm. 
and the secret agendas. Yep. What? what? Yep. I'll oh, go to the printer on Saturday. Dude. Ah, I can't wait to get that first production copy in my hands. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, and the first production copy has already been DHL to us. So, <laughs> yes, it has. I should see that within we the will next post week pics. or so. Yes, we pictures. Will post, we will post pics. Lots of pics. Lots of pics. Love it. All right, Gamer Nation. This is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. And I say keep them dash rolling on Tashi Station. <laughs>